Father God, we bow before you. We uplift holy hands in worship and in praise of you this morning. We come to you with heavy hearts. We come to you grieving and mourning. And we come to you celebrating your goodness and your life and your promises to us. We are desperate for you. I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would meet us all this morning that you would be faithful to do your holy work in each of us. Each of us come before you this morning in need of your blessing and your work deep in our souls. We are humble. We are teachable. Speak to us through your word this morning, I pray. Use our time, Lord, to glorify you and to bless your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. If you don't know me, I'm Jonathan Jones. I think most of you probably do. I have the privilege of serving, as you know, as one of the elders here at Cornerstone. I wanna give a special thanks to our dear Pastor Mike for affording me the privilege of sharing this portion of the Pilgrim's Progress with you all. I was so blessed to share the vital Vanity Fair section with you back in April, and now once again I seem to have drawn the gold ring in being able to teach through these sections with you. I also want to thank Pastor Mike for his anointed leadership and teaching us through this epic allegory that we have grown to love as we all relate to so much of Christian's journey to the celestial city. As I emphasized when I shared Vanity Fair, of the Pilgrim's Progress. This morning's sections are extremely personal. And I pray that the Lord will move in each of you as he has in me to convict and to refine as, and to encourage. I ask you, take these sections very personally. These sections are very much about you and, and about me and about what God wants to do in us and through us for the, uh, for, for, uh, for the benefit of his kingdom. So by way of review, last Sunday, Pastor Mike shared from sections 103 to 113 under the title of Two Are Better Than One. We saw Christian and Hopeful back on their journey, equipped with the lessons of patience and lingering to learn more from the Lord. By way of preview this morning, we'll be looking at sections 114 through 120, just touching on the highlights because our time goes so quickly. These sections focus on Hopeful's testimony, which so many of us can relate to. By God's grace and as an expression of his love, we'll be convicted, challenged, encouraged, and equipped. So let's jump into section 114. Take a look at the uh, the handout. Go to section 114, Hopeful's testimony, part one, where we see Hopeful ensnared by sin. The Pilgrim's Progress, as you know, is primarily the story of Christian. On the opening pages of the allegory, we see him distressed, clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his back to his home, with his face pointing towards the celestial city. We also see a great burden upon his back. At the encouragement of evangelist, he flees his home in the city of destruction and begins his journey to the celestial city. Through the character of Christian, 
John Bunyan tells his own story of coming to faith in Christ. But he also gives us glimpses into the journeys of some others along the way. Faithful, who you will recall, tells of his own escape from the city of destruction. We hear of Faithful's encounters with Wanton, Adam I, Moses, discontent and shame. We see his powerful witness as he travels with Christian to the town of Vanity, where he is put on trial and, as we know, ultimately martyred for his faith. It's interesting to compare the testimonies of each of these pilgrims. We will find that there are many, many similarities, things that are true on all the accounts, but we'll also find some differences. Bunyan is emphasizing by this that our pilgrimages will not all be the same. Some parts of the journey that are easy for some will be very difficult for others. There are temptations that may cause some to stray for a time, while others will immediately see the danger and not be led astray. This is why it's so important for us to travel together, fellowshipping with one another, encouraging one another, and discipling one another. Who are you journeying with? Who are you accountable to in your marriage, in your walk with Christ? Who is it that you're accountable to and journeying with to be spoken to, to be equipped, to be restored in many, uh, in many places? At Palace Beautiful, Christian had learned the value and importance of good company and gospel conversations. As they journeyed together, Christian asked Hopeful how he had begun to be concerned for his soul. You'll recall that Hopeful was from the town of Vanity, where he was ensnared and entrenched in sin, pursuing all the vain pleasures of this life, blissfully unaware that his soul was in danger. He was blind to God's, to God's good ways, delighting in all that the world had to offer, hoping all would turn out well in the end. How many people do we know in our walks of life, our friends, our family, our work colleagues, that are just hoping upon hope, that everything will work out in the end. Wow. The turning point came in Hopeful's life when Christian and Faithful came to his town. As Hopeful watched and listened to the two pilgrims, he was intrigued. He began thinking about the good of his soul. What was it that intrigued Hopeful about the two travelers visiting the town of Vanity? The first thing that intrigued him was they, th their lives intrigued him. When Christian and Hopeful came to Vanity Fair, they seemed very much out of place. They weren't tempted by the temporary and fleeting pleasures of the world. They did not buy and sell at the fair with others in town. Instead, they told the merchants, remember? They said, we buy the truth from Proverbs 23. Do you and I dwell in the truth? Do we seek the truth? Or are we distracted by the fair's in Vanity Fair. In the end, Faithful was martyred for his faith, yet in the midst of trial and temptation, Christian and Faithful stood firm for the truth. So while the lives of the pilgrims intrigued Hopeful, also their words intrigued him. Christian and Faithful not only lived the truth before the town, but they spoke the truth. They faithfully proclaimed and taught God's word. 
hopeful heard that he must forsake sin or face coming wrath and judgment. In the interest of time, I've included key scriptures for your reference and study. What's vital here is that you and I recall that we were all hopefuls prior to knowing Christ. We were ensnared by the sin of our vanity. We rejoice, we worship, we're filled with thanksgiving that we are challenged by the questions about our lives as men and women of God. Are our lives and our words intriguing to a lost and ensnared world, a world ensnared in sin? To our neighbors, to our work colleagues, to those who live life with us daily. These are the questions that must pierce our hearts that demand a response. Are our lives intriguing to the lost, intriguing for Christ? Hopha was not looking for Christ. He was not trying to understand the Bible. He was not even aware that he was lost and in danger. He prized the riches and treasures of the world more than the word and the way of God. Though he both heard and saw the gospel on display in the lives of Christian and faithful, he tried at first to block the truth from his mind and hide it from his eyes. Hopeful's experience highlights the importance of sharing our faith with others, even with those who initially reject and scorn the truth. Christian and faithful were willing to go through the town of vanity, which, as you know, represents the sinful world in its opposition to God, and face opposition and persecution, even to death, so that people living in the town could see and hear the gospel proclaimed. Because of their witness... Hopeful was able to hear and consider things that are divine. He heard them speak truth. He saw them stand for truth. And he watched them live the truth. It made a lasting impression. How much are you and I standing for truth in the midst of our lost and sinful world? We live in a day when the world is equally opposed to truth and ensnared by sin Truth, as you know, is regarded as fluid and malleable. Love that word, malleable. Something something to be consistently shaped as we construct our own realities and tell our own stories in order to make sense of the world around us. Evil is recast and redefined as anything that threatens or opposes our stories. The world delights in darkness, rejects the light of God's word, and is blind to God's ways. Let's press on to section 115 in your handout this morning. Take a look. Hopeful's testimony, part two, his initial resistance. Hopeful's testimony, again, highlights a contrast between his experience of coming to faith in Christ and Christian's experience. He and Christian responded differently to the awakening of the soul, to the reality of sin, and the need for salvation. Christian first learned that he was in danger of judgment by reading his book. What was his book? The Bible, right? As he read, he was distressed. We see him clothed in rags, which represented his sinful, uh, his sin and unrighteousness. With his face turned from his house, meaning he had no desire 
to continue living in sin and a burden on his back, he feels the weight of guilt and conviction of his sin. When evangelists pointed him to the wicked gate, which was Christ, and the shining light, which was the light of God's word, Christian was anxious for help and ready to begin his journey to escape destruction. Hopeful first heard the Bible's warnings about sin from Christian and faithful when they came to the town of Vanity. He was at first unwilling to see his danger. As he heard God's word, he responded with denial and rejection, though he began feeling the first workings of God in his heart. But he was resistant. He describes four causes. Note these four causes for his initial resistance. Number one, he was ignorant that God was at work in his heart. He did not realize that the conviction he was experiencing was actually the stirrings of grace in his life. Conviction made him feel guilty and terrible. How could these things be of God? We see the beautiful answer in John chapter 3. You can highlight John chapter 3 verse 8 in your handout this morning. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 3 verse 8. The second cause for Hopeful's resistance was he still loved his sin. We see this in Psalm 52 verse 3. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. Hopeful heard the warnings of Scripture and the pleasures of sin are short-lived. Sin enslaves and leads us to death, as we know. We see this in Romans 16, uh, in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. We also see it in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. But hopeful would not turn away from sin. Sin continued to ensnare him. We see this in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. Sin was very sweet, and he loathed to leave it. I know some of you are saying, amen, you understand what this means. You get it. I get it. Sin was very sweet, and he loathed to leave it. I'll quote from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. From Proverbs 9, 17. And then bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. But afterwards, his mouth will be filled with gravel. From Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17. Number three, the, uh, the third cause for Hopeful's initial resistance to the gospel was that he was unwilling to part with old companions. Hopeful was not only enticed by his flesh to remain in sin, he was encouraged by sinful companions. Scripture warns in Proverbs 13, verse 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And I also quote from 1 Corinthians, which is so vital this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Hopeful's friends approved and affirmed him in his sin. He prized their friendship as they legitimized his sin. 
He was not ready to walk away from destructive relationships. And the fourth reason Hopeful was initially resistant, he was troubled by conviction and afraid of his guilt. Hopeful felt the weight of condemnation for his sin, and it terrified him. When he remembered his sin, he was filled with conflicting thoughts of dread and delight. Sin promised him pleasure, but he couldn't bear the guilt it left behind. Sin assured him on the one hand that he, that he would be satisfied, but he ended up being troubled by conviction. He was unwilling to turn from sin, and so to find relief, he tried to banish guilt and conviction from his mind. Many in our day, as you know, are experiencing such struggles of conscience. Though they sense a measure of sin's horror, they are trapped by sin. They have sinned against others and feel the lingering guilt and condemnation. They have been sinned against. This is always the truth, isn't it? When you see someone lost in sin, pursuing sin, you ask yourself, I wonder what their story is. Julie and I often ask ourselves that question. I wonder what her story is. I wonder what his story is. They've been sinned against and feel hurt and shame that sin leaves in its wake. But instead of pursuing forgiveness and relief in the gospel, they try to drown out and smother their conscience with false hopes and more sin. As we share the gospel with friends, family, and others with whom we have the opportunity to speak, Hopeful's experience should give us cause for real hope. Sometimes the bonds of sin are very hard to break. Sometimes truth dawns slowly in the heart, but initial resistance to God's word is not fatal. Again, initial resistance to God's word is not fatal. In time, Hopeful did hear and believe the gospel. He did forsake his sin and his old life in Vanity Fair. As you know, he became a pilgrim, a follower of Christ, and set out with Christian for the celestial city. The lesson, the application from this section is we must keep praying for those still in bondage to sin, that God would in time give them light and set them free. In our next section, we see Hopeful explaining to Christian how God continued to pursue him and lay the weight of conviction on his conscience. This is section 116, the third part of Hopeful's testimony in his growing conviction. Though Hopeful initially rejected the gospel and resisted the conviction that was weighing upon his conscience, God continued to pursue him. Many of you here and live streaming with us have a testimony of the Lord pursuing you, nipping at your heels, bringing conviction. God continued to pursue Hopeful. He remembered his own mortality and frailty. He was reminded of his sinfulness and failing before God. He could not escape thoughts of the coming judgment. These reminders were all around him. Listen to this. When he heard about or saw someone doing what was right or good, when he heard the word of God read or mentioned, when he became ill or heard of others who were ill, when he heard about someone who died, especially if the death was tragic or unexpected or unjust as it was with faithful in Vanity Fair, 
when he thought that he would die and stand before God in judgment. Though he tried to put thoughts of death, judgment, and God out of his mind, all of these things were aimed at his conscience. God would not let him alone to rest comfortably in his sin. And for those of us that are in Christ, we say amen to that, don't we? Amen to that. Hopeful's testimony offers encouragement and instruction as we pray for friends and family who are still clinging to sin and resisting grace. We need to remember that our lives are on display. Our lives are on display. Those of us in the workplace, with our families, what we choose to look at, read, and share represents our lives. Our lives are on display. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. We see it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. In fact, I'll quote that for you this morning. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Point number two, the need to be bold in speaking the word of God, even to unbelievers. The word of God is the word of life. Don't have time this morning to quote these amazing scriptures, but check out John 5, 24, Acts chapter 13, verse 48, and then Romans 10, 14 through 17. Point number three, we need to trust in God's good purposes, even though times of difficult, even through times of difficulty, and hardship. God often uses trials and sickness to remind us of our own frailty and need for him, but God's good purposes may well extend beyond ourselves. God can use tragedy, sickness, even death as a means of grace to bring conviction to others and cause others to ponder the state of their soul. Our trials may be the very means that God is using to draw friends and family to himself. Let us live so that our lives, even in the midst of trials, help and not hinder others look to Christ and find hope in the gospel. This is convicting. How do you and I react under trial? What's our response when we are under trial? Do we bring glory to the Lord? Do we acknowledge him as Lord, as sovereign? Do we use it to grow our faith? The lesson, the application here is that we need to pray for those around us who are resisting God's word, who are hesitating or outright rejecting the truth. Pray that God <clears throat> pray that God's pray that God will not <clears throat> leave them to their sin. <coughs> Excuse me but will use all means necessary to pursue and draw them to himself. <clears throat> and pray that God's means would include even us as he providentially directs our lives for our good and the good of others around us. Let's press on to section 117. We see part four of Hopeful's testimony, the futility of works. Though Hopeful tried at first to suppress the conviction weighing upon his heart, he was unsuccessful. He tried not to think about the consequences of his sin 
but he still felt guilty and so thoroughly condemned. He then thought of another way to ease his conscience. He feared judgment for all the wrongs he had done, and so he endeavored to mend his life by doing good. We're familiar with this, aren't we? He tried forsaking sin. He abandoned sinful companions. He did things that he believed would commend him to God. He prayed. He even read his Bible. He felt sorry for his sin. He even witnessed to his neighbors that the world might see that he was reformed. But going through the motions of being right with God does not make one right with God. Any good feelings hopeful gained by being religious were fleeting. Guilt and conviction continued to flood his soul and overwhelm all of his efforts to reform. The truth began to dawn in Hopeful's thinking as he pondered God's word. Scripture teaches the futility of works as a way to be right with God. As Hopeful remembered verses that he had read and heard, he realized two important truths. Truth number one, even if he could live perfectly from this day forward, he could never repay his former debt of sin. Were he able to obey God's commands and do all that was required of him, he would only be doing his duty. We see this in Luke chapter 17, verse 10. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. He could no more make up for his past sins, the burden was just too great. This was Christian's great distress when he set out from the city of destruction. We cannot find relief from our guilt or acceptance with God through our own attempts at obedience. In our sin, the law only condemns us. It provides no relief, no reprieve, no respite. Our only help of forgiveness, as you know, is God's grace and mercy given to us in Christ Jesus. We see this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and I will quote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I pray you would com um, commend, uh, I would commend that to your memory. We can never do enough good works to cancel out our debt of sin. We are wholly unable to repay God. We cannot gain righteousness by our own efforts and strength. Truth number two, even if he could repay his former debt of sin, he would still be weighed down with debt Oh, daily for new sins. Though he tried reforming his life, he discovered that sin remained in his heart. Each day he saw sins added to his guilt before God. His sin separated him from God. Sin is thoroughly evil and contrary to God and his nature. I commend the writings of Ralph Venning to you in The Sinfulness of Sin. I'd love to quote this to you, but we don't have time this morning. 
Keep in mind that Ralph Vanning penned the sinfulness of sin in 1669. Just remarkable how faithful these men have been and how faithful the Lord has been to make these writings available to us, but I commend it to you. Sin is pervasive and sin is insidious. Great words for this morning. It is mixed in all we do, impure motives, wrong opinions, misguided ideas. We all have them every day. Even our righteous acts have enough sin mixed in to send us to hell. Hopeful confesses, I have committed sin enough in one duty to send me to hell. Though my former life has been faultless, sin has so tainted our thoughts and actions that even our best efforts and most notable and, and most noble thoughts are as filthy rags. We see this in Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all like un, we but we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. But how quickly do you and I associate our good deeds with righteousness? They're right there, aren't we? They are right there. We, we all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Again, Isaiah 64, verse 6. Jonathan Edwards rightly concludes in his writing, The Justice of God in the Damnation of Sinners. Once again, 1734. I commend that to you from your handout this morning. So the lesson, the application from section 117 is that hopeful understands the dire consequences of his sin and he realizes the futility of his own works to atone for his sin. He cannot earn his own righteousness or attain God's favor through his own efforts. He needs to look to the work of another. He needs a righteousness not of his own. In the next section, we'll hear how Hopeful learned of the gospel of grace, section 118, part 5 of Hopeful's testimony, the gospel of grace. Hopeful came to realize that he had no hope in himself. He had no righteousness of his own that was fit for the presence of God and not stained with sin. He knew he was guilty. He was unable to escape conviction, even by attempting to ignore his sin or by trying to make amends for his sin. So in his desperation, he sought out one whom he thought could help. He shared his distress with Faithful, and Faithful finally pointed him to Christ. Hopeful was acquainted with Faithful, as you know, and knew of his testimony. When Christian and Faithful first came to Vanity Fair, Hopeful thought them to be fools for condemning evil and preaching against sin. But when he saw the evils of his own heart, he felt the weight and condemnation due to his sin. He was compelled to agree with them. He sought, their, he sought their counsel. And though the message of the gospel sounded strange to him at first, the more he heard, the more he was convinced that it was true. Faithful told Hopeful that the only way he could be right with God was to attain a perfect righteousness. He needed to be holy. We see this in the Old Testament. God telling Israel in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, you shall be holy, 
for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. This standard has not changed, and we see it repeated by Peter in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16, where Peter says, but he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. How can you and I be holy? We need holiness, we need righteousness, but where can we find it? We cannot attain such holiness on our own. We cannot earn righteousness by keeping the law and doing good works. If such righteousness was to be ours, it must be gained by another and granted to us by grace. The righteousness is found in one person, Christ Jesus alone. This is the good news of the gospel. God has provided this righteousness we need in Christ. I commend Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. That scripture is in your handout, as well as Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. If we are able, if we are able to be holy and righteous, we must have Christ. If we are able to be cleansed and forgiven, we must have Christ. If we are able to escape death, the wages of sin, we must have Christ. In Christ, there is no more condemnation for sin. Where do we see that? You must know that in your heart, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. In Christ, there is eternal life. John chapter 17, verse 3. And Romans chapter 6, verse 23. In Christ, there is hope, joy, and salvation. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5, and in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. It is through Christ's shed blood that we are cleansed, redeemed, and forgiven. From 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 through 21. And also Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. He alone can make us righteous and holy. From Colossians 1, 21 through 22, and Hebrews chapter 10, 12 through 14. Hopeful's testimony highlights our need to look to Christ alone to res- for rescue from sin and relief from guilt and condemnation. It also highlights our need to always be ready to point others to the hope we have in Christ. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 15, there are many around us who are ensnared by sin and in need of hope. Like hopeful, some have initially rejected the gospel and are attempting to excuse their sin. Some have placed their confidence in themselves and are futilely attempting to do good to amend for their sin. But God can dissolve unfounded excuses and shatter false confidence. He can bring sinners low to a point of crisis where they reach the end of themselves, where they have no more answers, where they don't know what to do. God is at work. And I commend you, I exhort you to pray that the Holy Spirit continues to nip at the heels at those who you are praying for to bring conviction for their sin. Hopeful was intrigued with Faithful's confidence and remembered Faithful's message. Would Faithful's experience be ours as well? 
ask yourself, and these are in your handout, look at these questions. Are you aware of others around you, their challenges and struggles, hopes and dreams? Is your life accessible to others? Do you have time to make or make time to make a difference in the lives of others? Is your life marked by integrity, compassion, and confidence in God? In times of crisis and conviction, would those around you be compelled to seek your counsel and comfort? Are you fluent with the gospel? Do you know God's word? Do you speak to others about their need for Christ? Are you willing and ready to share your faith? Are you looking for opportunities to serve others and point them to Christ? Without Christ, the world has no hope. We see this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. We must be faithful to hold fast to Christ and implore others to do so as well. He alone has the righteousness we need. In section 119, we see part 6 of Hopeful's testimony, the invitation to Christ. Hopeful knew that Christ was his only hope. He heard the gospel clearly explained by faithful. He understood the gospel, even wanted to believe it, yet he hesitated. He thought himself to be too great a sinner. He did not believe God was willing to save him. This was Bunyan's own experience, as you know. Though he wanted the forgiveness and grace promised in Scripture, he did not believe it could be his. He described his dark feelings in grace abounding, and I commend this writing to you, these excerpts from Bunyan's book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, as we press on together. How can God save a soul so polluted and mired in sin? Why would he even want to? Faithful's response to Hopeful's objection <clears throat> against believing is worth noting. He does not, he, Faithful, does not try to minimize Faithful's sin. He doesn't say, oh, <clears throat> you're being, um, you're being, you're, he does not say, you're not so bad. Don't be so hard on yourself. Of course God wants to save you, nor does he attempt to build up hopeful self-esteem by saying, stop being so negative. Think of all the good things you've done. Of course you're worth saving. Instead, faithful continues to exalt Christ and magnify his goodness, kindness, and mercy. He points hopeful to the gracious promises of God's word. He shows hopeful how God's power and glory are magnified in his grace and mercy towards sinners. He encourages hopeful to go to him and see. We see this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Psalm 95, verse 6. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. A faithful encourages hopeful to take God at his word and go to him in repentance and faith. He said, you will find him upon the mercy seat. And we see the mercy seat talked about in Exodus 25. We also see it in Hebrews 14. Cast your objections, cast aside your objections and come to Christ. Hesitate no longer. Ezekiel 33 verse 11. Take God at his word and believe him. Come repenting of sin and cast yourself on his mercy from Luke 18, verse 30, and come to him by faith, 
believing that true righteousness is found only in Christ alone from Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. We must press on into our final section in the final minutes we have together this morning. Section 120, our final section, we see part 7 of Hopeful's testimony coming to Christ. When Hopeful heard the gospel invitation, he responded as faithful encouraged him to. He prayed and sought God for understanding and mercy, but Hopeful confessed that he was not successful at first. Though his prayers were sincere, his coming to Christ was a struggle. He faced obstacles. His life condemned him. His sins filled him with guilt. Fear and doubts clouded his mind. He still lived in the midst of vanity, and the town fair sought to lure him back. We relate to this, don't we? Temptation bludgeoned him. Love that word, bludgeoned. Picture that. Punched him up. Temptations bludgeoned him with guilt as fiercely as his sin. Even his pride turned against him, convincing him that his sin was so great and so vile that God could never want him. These obstacles continue to hinder people from coming to Christ. The enemy of our souls would discourage, distract, oppress, oppose anything to keep us away from the mercies and kindness of God in the gospel. I refer to these obstacles and the excuses in your notes this morning. Hopeful prayed and sought relief many times before he truly laid hold of Christ in the gospel. His experience is similar to Christians who you will recall arriving at wicket gate knocked therefore more than once or twice and when seeking instruction to find relief from his burden knocked over and over at the house of the interpreter. So what brought Hopeful finally to a saving knowledge of Christ? God opened the eyes of his understanding and number two, the word of God took root in his heart. And number three, he gave up hope in himself and believed God's word that Christ is the only hope of salvation for sinners. What then, what then can we do to come to a saving knowledge of Christ? Don't give up praying. Don't give up reading and hearing God's word. And don't look at your sin without looking to Christ. I refer you as we close this morning to the quote from the Reverend Robert Murray McShane written in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1894 where we read, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17:9. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. I repeat, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. Let's close in prayer together. Father God, what a blessing, what an overwhelming blessing it has been to be together this morning, to be together in your word, 
to be together in spirit with John Bunyan. Thank you for this epic allegory of John Bunyan's testimony that we all relate to. We beg you, Lord, do your work in our hearts. Do your deep, transforming work. Sharpen us, refine us. Keep us focused on you and the truth and glory of the gospel. Father, we commit the rest of our morning together to you, that you would minister to us, that you would be kind to us this morning as we reflect on a family loss here at Cornerstone. We ask your blessing upon our guest pastor. We ask your blessing upon our pastoral staff as they minister and share. We commit the morning to you and to your glory. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.